dig into God's Word some. Our Father God, we thank you for the loving pastor that we have. We thank you for the kind of man that he is and his family and the way that they love us, each one of us. And they seem to be sensitive in ways that um, not the average person would be towards us. They seem to have a true, true love, and they're a great example for us. And we just pray that uh, they get some rest this week. And that also, Father God, that we have an opportunity to learn, be able to understand exactly better who you are, God, as uh, we sometimes have a tendency of maybe thinking we know you well, and then when we study your word, we realize how far away we are from you. Father God, we have no idea why you would save mankind like us. The human race is a faulty race. We love sin. Father God, sometimes I admit I love sin more than you sometimes. And I find that uh, when I get back into your word, dig in and see how you loved us anyway. Now, Father God, it makes me um, sometimes ashamed, sometimes um, excited about being able to learn more about you and to allow things to happen through the power of the Holy Spirit that we could not do otherwise. We ask that as we uh, look into the area of love today, that, Father God, it will be, uh, each one of us will be convicted in one way or another to be able to rejoice, be able to share your love with others, be able to share the gospel with others, and, Father God, that we have renewed energy to want to do so. We just thank you for you, Father God. We thank you for each person that's here today. And we just ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, uh, this wasn't going to be my introduction, but I think it will be now. Um, last night, went to, you know, Anna and I went to bed at a reasonable hour. And Anne made a um, question of me, which she so lovingly does all the time. She goes, are you going to be able to sleep tonight? And I said, sure. That should be, should be no problem. Well, my father just passed away a couple of weeks ago. And one of the things that um, I got from him was this huge grandfather clock. I mean, it's, it's huge. It's like eight foot tall. And every 15 minutes, it pounds noise through our house. And... Um, I'm happy to tell you that uh, it does work at least till 5.15 in the morning. <laughs> and you might think that, wow, Gary, were you uh, nervous about speaking in front of you all? And the truth is, is no. No, I was not. I, I speak for a living so to crowds, so that really was not it. Was it that... Um, I was concerned about how you would receive the word today. And not exactly, not exactly that. What happened was when Roman, by the way, contacted me Friday afternoon, said, Gary, I don't think you're going to get here, uh, be able to get here. Can you come up with a topic? And I really did this. I thought, you know, I'm going to pick an easy topic. And I picked it really on a reputation based on love for Christ and others. And I thought, I can zoom right through this. 
this will be simple. Well, one of the many reasons why I love our Lord is he has a way of surprising us, changing our direction, taking where I thought I would want to take uh, this morning with you with me, and I ended up going an entirely different way. And I have to tell you, I became very convicted. I became convicted that, yes, I, I know God loves me. I know Jesus loves me. He loves you. I can give you all the theological answers for all of that, and that's wonderful. What I began to realize is my love for him is far, far short on what it should be. And what happened last night as I was trying to sleep, I was thinking about wondering how many of us truly, truly, truly love the Lord. How, mu how, much, how much do we do? In other words, the people we come in contact with, do they know that we love the Lord? Oh, they might know we're religious. Don't you love that word? I know you're religious. I know that you go to church. And because Ann and I had 11 kids, everybody thought we were Mormon. So, you know, had to do a lot of correction on that type of thing. So, again, it's not for the fear of speaking with you because of sheer numbers. Because, quite frankly, whenever Ann and I have the kids over in their households, there's a lot more people than this there. So, what I'm fearful of is... I don't deserve to be here today to speak on this subject. And I picked it because I thought it would be easy. I thought it would be easy, and it was not. I know some of you are disappointed. When we used to go to Grace Community Church, we lived in Santa Monica, and we used to drive down to Grace Community Church, and I've got to admit a, a sin. I was always disappointed when John MacArthur was not going to preach. The pastor was not going to be here today. And they had great people filling in. I mean, wonderful people, people I started following once they, they spoke there. But I'm going to tell you this. I do feel your pain on having to put up with me for a bit. But let's see if we can take God's word and we can do a bit of difference. There's something up here. I, I don't know if you're all aware of it or not. It says here, this little plaque. It says, sir, we would see Jesus. And I would hope today that somehow you're able to overlook me and that you look for Jesus. You look for Jesus in your life. You look for Jesus on all he does for you. And you look for Jesus where you disappoint him. Where we fall short on truly, truly loving a Lord, I'll, I never will understand this, a Lord who was in heaven with God the Father, with God the Holy Spirit, and he came down to this earth, suffered a man as a man. He suffered, and he's the last person ever in all of history that should have suffered for my sin and for your sin. So therefore we say, so what do we owe him? What should we do back. And I'm going to suggest to you the Bible pretty well makes it clear we're to love him. We're to love him. And there's a lot of things Jesus says in the Bible that I don't like. Some of you that come to some of my studies know this. I hate a lot of the sayings that Jesus said because I can't live up to them. If you love me, keep my commandments, Jesus said. Simple, easy, 
impossible. And so as we get into this, I do want to make something clear today. I don't want you to get any wrong impressions. The Holy Spirit has been speaking to me much on this subject in a day and a half when I found out I'd be here today. Uh, Addressing areas that prove how much grace I need and how much grace you need and wisdom from our Lord to even carry out a speck of the commands that we're supposed to be doing. And also said staple these so I don't let all these papers fly away, so bear with me as I flip this page. But I'm not here to judge you at all. That is not my prerogative. That is Jesus' prerogative. That was given to him by the Father. It was not given to you to judge whether, quote, I did a good job here today or not, or evaluating the person on the other room, don't look over there, but the person on the other room that maybe you don't love everybody here in our small church the way that you should. Maybe we let some of the wrong things get in the way and we'll kind of deal with that. If you're challenged a little bit today, praise God. I hope so. And I appreciate our visitors, uh, Hebners who are here I don't know if you know this, but every time that I preach, John MacArthur sends somebody there to grab my notes after, so I'll give them to you <laughs> later. Seeing how this is the first time I've preached, so, okay. We're going to allow Scripture to do a lot of the definition today. It's not going to be a typical thing. The second half of, of this sermon here is really going to be me reading Scripture back to you on a certain point. And you're going, wow, Gary, that's really boring. It may be boring listening to me read. It's not boring in the content. And believe me, you'll much rather hear God's word than Gary Moore's word. God has me beat by that much. And we'll be spending a lot of time there. There's going to be principles and actions for you to consider to do. I'm not just filling in time. I'm going to throw out some challenges. And believe me, those challenges are coming right back here, and they have. There's 14 areas on how we're to love. I can't put a check on any of them. You know, I had somebody, they happen to not be here today, but somebody who comes to the church here. I'd gone to church with them for years and years at another church. And they said to me one day the following. They said, you know, Gary, I always thought you were kind of unapproachable. You were just one of those guys you don't approach. And right at that time, I asked God for forgiveness. I asked God for forgiveness because now that I am as old as I am, some of your business, as old as I am, I have seen Jesus time and time and time again save people I would not even talk to. They aren't worthy for me to talk to them. Yet our Lord died for them. Sometimes I have to ask myself, who am I? Who do I really think that I am that I can have thoughts about individuals or pick my little church clique and hang around with just a few? 
God's word commands that I love every one of you. You even have to love me. And I wonder how many of you came with a plan today to love people in this church? How many of you came with a specific reason to see somebody that was going to be a way that you were going to love another person? You know, Jesus, I just love reading through Scripture. He's wandering out and he comes to a well in the middle of no place, a little watering well. Jesus had a plan, didn't he? Jesus had a plan. And yet, Gary, what is your plan? And I ask you, what is your plan to show love to the people in this church? There's something I really wonder. It's later in my notes, but I'm going to throw it in now, which shows you I ignore my notes. If we have visitors here, and we have a few today, and thank you for being here. Do people leave this church and walk out into the parking lot and leave and say, that is a loving church? That is what every church should be like. Is it? Are we? Or do we come up with our own ways of either being cool or being sophisticated or being special when I know of only one person ever in history that had the right to not love sinners? So we will see exactly what Scripture has to say to us today. By the way, if you get bored, I'm going to be quoting a lot of theologians and Scripture. So you're not upset at me. It's really with the Lord. You can deal with that later. You know, I often kind of think that if you happen to be here a believer or a non-believer, even more importantly, a non-believer, you're in the right place. Every one of us is sinners. Every one of us fails at what we're supposed to be doing. We are not better than other people who are not Christians. I'll argue the other way around. I think we're worse than most because we should know better. We have a pastor who teaches us his word, points out the things we should do to be obedient. We have no excuse. So if you are an unbeliever or you know an unbeliever, they should be very comfortable around us. Very, very comfortable. The launching pad for our message today is John 13, 34 through 35. Now, I am going to have a lot of scripture. I doubt if most of you will be able to flip through it all because you're going to be looking for Nehemiah and everything else while I'm reading a, a quick verse. I would highly suggest that if you care to, that you will write down the verses I mentioned. The reason being, you can get the full elements on your own between you and the Lord and the Holy Spirit by going back to these scriptures because that's all I'm doing. I didn't have time to make it shorter. I would have made this a whole lot shorter. Didn't have time to. John 13, 34 through 35. Here comes Jesus again, making statements I don't like. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now get this. 
By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What is the litmus test that God gives us? Right here. How do we love each other? Boy, you know, we're people, and there are certain things that irk me about you, and there are certain things about me that I irk you a little bit. And I'm going to suggest to you that Jesus says, grow up. Grow up and love. Unconditionally. If you're jealous because I have so much hair, that's your problem. But Jesus tells us, love. Amazing. On the cross, one of his last things Jesus did on the cross, just absolutely amazing, tells a thief, what does he tell him? Today you will be with me in paradise. Got news for you. That guy didn't make my list. And it's a good thing I don't make the list because I wouldn't have been on that list either. And I would pray tell maybe some of you, maybe not. These great words, a new commandment I give to you, which, by the way, says quit having your own little commandments and little things that you're doing. This is what we're to do. If we're to do one thing, we're to love the Lord God with all our heart, mind, and soul. Yeah, good luck on that one. We can all quote it. How many of us can live it? I can't. I get mad at myself all the time for failing to love God always. I get mad at myself for sometimes loving God, maybe sometimes. But Jesus tells us this. My humanness, this is from, they'll show you how old I am. My humanness can't ignore when there's something in Scripture that's in red letters. Some of you senior saints, you know what I'm talking about. We have a, t a tendency to say, those are red letters. Jesus said those, so those are important. I think it was Pastor MacArthur pointed out to me, might as well not be red letter because every word in the Bible is the word of God. Every word is to us, is from God to us. But I still can't help it. I love it when I see the words of the Lord and I wonder, I just wonder, can the Holy Spirit help me be more like him? Can the Holy Spirit take hold of my heart and make that difference? You know, there's another set of verses, uh, Mark 12, 28 through 31. Amazing words here. And it goes something like this. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most of all? Boy, talk about trying to trap somebody. Which one's most important of all? Jesus thrived all the time, but he, there always seemed to be a little extra when somebody's trying to trap him. Because Jesus went right to the heart of the issue. The most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord 
is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind and with all your strength. Do you get an A plus for that? Get a B minus? Do you get, Gary, I don't like these kind of sermons? To make me uncomfortable? I hope so. Because it made me uncomfortable getting ready for today. Because I had to answer, Lord, I do not love you the way that you have commanded. The second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Boom! Love God, love others. In this case, love everybody in this church. You know, instead of worrying about some of the things we might about our church, how about worrying about this? Are we absolutely a loving church and we love coming here because we know we're going to be loved by others and because we are going to love others? Do we truly understand that? Do we understand this is not an option? This is not just like, you know, when you go to school that they go, okay, here's your electives. God says we are to love him. And I'm only mentioning it again for one reason. You all know this verse. How many of you have really meditated on this verse? How many of you have admitted to God you fail here? Or this. How many have admitted to God you deserve it? And I don't live up to it. Let alone put up with Gary Moore at church. It's a good idea, Anna Staples. It's good. Matthew, one of Anne's and my son, is the director of connections and community groups at a church called Providence Church outside Dallas. Listen to what they're currently focused on teaching. I love this. Their entire church, they're teaching their entire church the difference between being reactive versus proactive when it comes to loving others. Wow. Their church is like ours. Romans up here and says, we have a need. Here's a need we have in this church. And you're all so wonderful because we respond like that. I can't think of anything that's ever really been asked for that doesn't get handled because we respond. But Providence Church did the same thing, but they said, you know, we always respond immediately and unselfishly, but here's a deeper question. How do our act, daily actions reveal that we're faithful Christians by being proactive and looking out for the not-so-obvious ways we can love and serve each other? Why do we wait for here's an opportunity to serve God? Why do we wait to love each other? Why don't we zero in on a person? And why don't we love them? I've seen a lot of church programs. I love this church program because it is saying, let's live how Jesus commands. Love each other. Another perhaps insightful answer to this question is, do Ranch View church visitors, as I mentioned earlier, what do they say about us? Do you all know what visitors say about us? Or do you figure, well, that's somebody else's job here. It's not my job description to take care of being nice to people I don't know. 
And by the way, it's Sunday, and the Yankees are playing. I better get home, <laughs> catch that game. One of my very favorite theologians, maybe not yours, but he certainly is one of mine. I have lots of his material. Martin Luther commenting on Romans 12, 9 through 12. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. I'm going to read that again. We should be in competition with each other, loving others. That's where competition is good. Not can I say a more eloquent prayer. Not can I read scripture a little better than somebody else. But how about do I love others? Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirits. Serve the Lord. That's why we love others. We're serving the Lord when we do. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer about loving others. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. The Bible is so unfair to us. It is so clear. But it's coming to this foggy mind. It's coming to this selfish mind. It's coming to this mind that, quite frankly, doesn't want to love everybody. Maybe doesn't know how to love everybody. But God's word shows us how to do it. You know, until I gave it more thought, I thought it was odd that Luther goes on to compare our attitudes of warning our behavior towards others by borrowing this verse. I know your works. You are neither cold or hot. Would you that you were either cold or hot? It's out of Revelation. Because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. That is our loving God talking to who? Rebellious sinners. Are you lukewarm? Am I lukewarm in my love for others? Yikes. You know what? I love it when the Lord says, you'll be with me forever in paradise. I love that. Makes me feel pretty good. Off I go. I've got a chance. This is good. How do you feel that uh, some of our behavior just might be considered lukewarm? Might be lukewarm. I'm going to tell you there are people here who are hurting in our congregation. I'm going to also say most of you don't know it. I would say, whose fault is that? That you don't know that. Whose fault is it? You didn't come this Sunday to help somebody at this church before you got started. Before we got started today. We must ask ourselves, are we lukewarm and what do we need to do about it? A little bit more from Luther. Because he makes me feel so good. Luther provides us another fascinating glimpse of brotherly love, and that's in 1 Peter 1, 22 through 25. Here's what Luther has to say about this. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Your obedience to the truth of having a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. 
Why don't you love others more? Why don't I? Because our heart is not pure. We cannot love correctly with an unpure heart. We cannot have unconfessed sin and think we're going to turn around and be all lovey-dovey. We first have to face our weaknesses, our sin, what keeps us from loving others, ask for the Holy Spirit to help us again. You know, we've been born again, Luther goes on, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God for, listen to this, all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fails. Get any idea? But the word of the Lord does what? Remains forever. I hope you like looking at your Sports Illustrated or your cooking magazines. But I hope not more than you love looking at God's word, which makes a difference, lasts forever. Will allow us to become individuals that love others. Why do we not want to live a holy and obedient life? You know, is it because we do all this and love others because it saves us? No. No, it does not. Praise God. That is not how we're evaluated. We're evaluated on our sin. And sometimes it looks like Jesus evaluates the worst sinners as the ones most worthy of being saved on his account. Not on their account. On his account. For his good pleasure. Every one of us who are saved right now in this room are not saved because you were special. It is not because you had something that God said, I need that. I need that in my church. One of the greatest mysteries is, why did Jesus... And God come up with the salvation program they came up with. That is your definition of love. Giving to people who deserve nothing. As a matter of fact, yes they do. They deserve punishment. But for some reason, for his good pleasure. And I wonder how much do you do for your good pleasure for God, for others? Is that how your mind works? When you wake up every morning, is that where your mind goes? Can't wait to serve somebody again today. You know, as we continue on, I'm going to give um, a story now I'm going to skip because I'm really taking a long time to get to the point I want to make here. Ann and I have uh, sons that some of you haven't met, uh, David, Dean, and Sorrell know, know David. They've known him for a long time, actually. And Stephen, who happens to be with us here today, this incident happened that I thought was quite loving. It's when Stephen was a teenager. He's 15 years old. Typical 15-year-old teenage boy. We had a houseload of them, 15 teenage boys at one time. And here was a little Dave, Little Dave, five years old, white, white hair, cutest little guy. I don't know what happened to him, Dean, but he's a cute little guy. And he's in the bathroom brushing his teeth. Little Dave, 
so cute. Stephen, like a typical teenager, walks up to the door. They're kind of open. So he kicks the door open, comes in, looks around, and goes, David, whose toothbrush are you using? And David looks at him without missing a beat and goes, ours. <laughs> now that is love, is it not? Stephen didn't think so, but, you know, how many times do we do things that we think they're pretty lucky I'm showing them this loving act, and they don't get it at all? How many times has that happened? How many times have we impressed ourselves with our love? And yet, is loving one of the things on pe how people would describe you? And if it's not, we have a Holy Spirit we can call upon. Say, Father, send us that Holy Spirit. Allow us to be loving. Allow us to be as you command. Allow us to love. Kevin read this morning something that's really interesting. I'm using it as a transition thing here in Revelation 24. I saw the souls of those who have been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. Oh, no, Gary, you're not going to try to throw something on us like that, are you? You bet I am. We're living in a world right now, Afghanistan. Do you have any idea what's happening in Afghanistan? Do you know what is happening to Christians in Afghanistan as we meet here today? Do you have any idea? Oh, ugly. And if you're a teenage girl, uglier. brothers and sisters in Christ, and we have the gall to sit here and just be comfortable and we'll say, it's really too bad what's happening over there. <laughs> no, it's really horrendous. You can love those brothers and sisters first by prayer. You can love other ways. There's ministries that are trying to reach out to them, and by the way, it's not over. It's going to continue to be a problem. These are people that love the Lord. Can we love them? You go, okay, Gary, it's all radical for you. You point out to us that there's believers who had their heads cut off for our Lord. Why do you bring us up to that? We're in the United States. Why do you bring that up? I'll tell you why. I don't think it's too radical at all for us to be thinking about. These were believers that had their heads cut off for their love for who? Jesus Christ. Now that's love. I'm not there. I'm not there, and I'm going to show you in a minute, I'm not there because of sin. I'm not there because I'm too selfish. And I pray and state to all of you, I want Jesus Christ to make me have the mindset of, if my head is going to get chopped off, praise God. Got a long ways to go. But we should strive to master that. Now here's 14 examples. Many years ago, Ann and I, this is really getting into the sermon now. Many years ago, Ann and I were uh, 
officers for a group called Biblical Counseling Ministries, and our efforts supported Rich Thompson. You both know Rich Thompson very well, don't you, his family? He's a pastor and author of a book called Love the Answer. Here are Rich's thoughts on love, and I'd like you to listen to this. It is a believer's love for other people which reveals the consistencies of his love for God. Ouch. Who does Pastor Rich think he is? The very existence of unloving attitudes and actions towards people indicate a lack of love for God himself. Attitudes and actions go together. I read that. Now, you have to understand, we, we, Ann and I typed up his stuff. We did all sorts of things with that ministry, made booklets and everything else. I read this on Saturday, and I, yes, yesterday, and I went, oh, my. Did I miss the point or what? My lack of love for you is because of my lack of God love for who? For God. Whoa. I don't like that. I certainly don't like some guy who lives in Colorado pointing that out to me until I started thinking about it. How did Jesus say he knows or they know we love him if we do what? Keep his commandments. It isn't that we go to church. It isn't that we put on a spiffy pink little tie. Keep his commandments. Jesus said we're to love others. No options, whether you're a loving person or not. How about this? That is our litmus test for are we obedient Christians, how we love others. Jesus said the greatest command is what? Love the Lord God. And right after that comes love others. He could, have, he could have pointed out so many other things I'd much rather he would have put out. So if you look at 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, and I'm going to really have to buzz fast here. What we find in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, by the way, this, you all ought to memorize these verses right here. They're familiar. Love is patient. Love is patient. Oh, I wish my... One of my, two of my sons are here today, so I can't make up great stories about how patient I am. Proverbs 14.29 says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. It's Proverbs 14.29. Another one that goes well with this. There's three. Proverbs 16.32. Listen. God speaking to you and me. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who owes takes a city. What is this saying? If we are men that are in the power of the Holy Spirit or we're women under the power of the Holy Spirit, we're able to keep our temper, we are better off than anybody who we would think is great by worldly standards. Are you somebody who maintains your ability to endure the injustices that are put on you? Or do you consistently demand your rights? 
Are you one of those that says, I have rights too? Yes, you do. You have rights to be thrown in hell and burned forever. That's a right we have. Certainly one we deserve. But God loved us. So, number one, love is patient. Is patience one thing you should work on on love? Number two, love is kind. Which, by the way, when it says love is kind, it's from the Greek word. I'm not going to tell you what word because I can't pronounce it. Root meaning useful, beneficiary, friendly acts. God appointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. That's Acts 10.38. Jesus went around doing good. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. This is 1 Peter 4.10-11. As good stewards of God's various graces, we are constantly be using the gifts we have to be serving others. So I'd ask you, are you kind? Are you a kind person? Here's the real question. Are you a kind person under the power of the Holy Spirit? It's one thing to be kind because kind people, one of my companies that I have, I'm an expert on personalities. Kind people, I know what you're thinking when you're acting kind. And it doesn't match. When God tells us our actions in our hearts are to be kind, not just our actions, not just holding it to ourselves, those things work hand in hand. So number two, can we ask for God to make us a more kind person for his glory? Number three, love does not envy. Love is not jealous. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. That's Philippians 2.3. I bet if you just wrote that verse down and asked God to give that to you through the power of the Holy Spirit, you'd be challenged for a lifetime. Do you rejoice in your heart for another's prosperity, advantages, benefits, and blessings that they get? Or do we find ourselves quietly jealous, envious, wanting what another person has? Because ultimately, we are also complaining to God that we don't have the right things we covet instead of another. In other words, when we grumble because we don't have certain things, we are telling God, the way I'd word it with my kids, sorry with the wording, we spit in God's face. We spit in his face on what he has given us while we want other things. We know better than God what we deserve, or so we think. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am content. Is that you? Is that you? Are you content with exactly what you came here with? All the worries you came here with this morning, are you content? I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things 
to him who strengthens us. We know that part of the verse. I can do all things. I can go skiing this weekend. Oh, I could go to Disneyland. I can do all things through Christ. He strengthens me to do this. I'm going to suggest that's not the proper application here. Proper application is whatever God has you struggling with today, this morning, your answer, you just got it. Your answer is praise God for it. I praise God for my father's death. You're going to miss him. But I praise God for that man. I can be all sappy and sad and God, why'd you take him? Or I can say, God, you gave him 94 years and I thank you for that. Praise God for everything we face. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Number four, love does not boast. The word here is interesting. It's play the beggar. The bragger, I'm sorry. Playing the bragger. In the Greek New Testament, it's kind of talking about that we aren't to be bragging. You can see James 4, 13 through 16, Proverbs 27, 1. For sake of time, I'm going to move on because there's a couple I want to make sure I have time for. Love is not arrogant. That is one who is proud, conceited, haughty in spirit, or exalts himself above others. You like to exalt yourself above others? Who else like to exalt himself above others? Satan, over God. That was his sin. And yet, we find ourselves wanting, we may not say I want to exalt myself over Jesus, although we do every time we disobey him. But what if I picked one of you and wanted to exalt myself over you, or you do it to me? Great, I guess we should get a little badge that says, I'm in the Satan club. Love is not arrogant. So in other words, we're not proud, conceited, haughty in spirit, or think that we're special. I'm old enough now I can say this. It's painful every time I go to the Bible. It's painful. Because I see me in it. And it's in all the wrong places. The Holy Spirit needs to grab hold of my heart. Quit living for Gary. Live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Or how about this? Don't live for Gary. Live for others. If that's how we live, and that's how we think we're on the right track. Number six, love is not rude. Love is polite, courteous, gracious, mannerly, and tactful. Wow, those aren't very popular here in the 21st century, are they? One doesn't allow, uh, love doesn't allow one to violate the laws of God. We are to be very polite to each other. We're to be very respectful to each other. And if first we have to do it with action, and later we do it internally, so be it. 
but our attitude towards each one of ourselves. One, that we're not rude. Galatians 5, 19 through 21 might be helpful. Guys, if you don't write it down, I'm sure your wife will for you. And Romans 13, 9. Shall love your neighbor as yourself. My favorite verse, and I was unsaved. Great. I'm supposed to love myself. Then I went to Sunday school. They ruined it for me. Said, no, you're not to love yourself in the way that, guess what? We love ourselves. I think it's impossible to be an American in this wonderful country we're in and not be selfish. I think it's near impossible. Paul Washer, if you don't know who he is, wonderful preacher, man of God, but you better have your seatbelt fastened when he's preaching. I'm really mellow. He's really up there. He said, it was easier for me to be in South America dealing in the jungles with people than it is here in the United States. Boy, what a commentary on who we are. Number seven, love does not insist on its own way, nor is it self-seeking or selfish. It seeks the welfare of others. 1 Peter 3, 4, Philippians 2, 3 through 8. By the way, you want to have peace in your family? Go to these verses. Claim them for your household. If you're brave enough. Number eight, love is not irritable. Hey, I do have here a Greek word, paroxuno. It was easy to say, so I wrote it down like I'd, you'd think I'd know Greek. Some emphasize that the idea is principally one of irritation and annoyance. However, others see it as an anger, rage, or wrath, being irritable. We're to beware of both, both so that we don't get annoyed with others, but certainly so we don't get into anger and rage. Paul in 8, Acts 17, 16, if you have an anger issue. And by the way, in one way or another, who doesn't? By the way, Acts 17, 16 was kind of interesting because it's showing a holy anger. That's an okay anger. Pray for that one. Paul got it when he saw what? When he saw the idols. He showed a holy anger. Number nine, love is not resentful. In Romans 8, 28, you all know this one. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, accept whatever the Lord brings into our life. Don't control it. Accept it. Don't take this verse and do just a shiny little happy part of this verse. Have it work the way it's meant to be. Genesis 50, verses 20 and 21. I love this. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. You meant evil, but God meant it for good. Have you ever said that to anybody who has wronged you? Have you ever taken the time to say, praise God for this hardship? And I don't care if it was you who gave it to me. That is the mind of a godly 
God-fearing man. Oh boy, our perfect example. There goes Jesus again on the cross. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Somebody says a little harsh word to us. We're so bent out of shape. Who are you to make me feel that way? Jesus said to them while they're hanging him, had just gotten done mocking him, putting thorn crown on his head. And I know you all know this, but do you really know it? Do you really? Because when we sit here and think about that, and then Jesus turns around and says, Father, forgive them. I got news for you. That's not my call out. Mine is, God, get me out of this thing. I don't want to be hurt. I don't want pressure. I don't want things not being so perfect. Oh, give me the heart of our Lord. Give me the heart of the Lord. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing or unrighteousness, but rejoices with truth. Is that you? Proverbs 10.23 or Proverbs 15.21. Do you sometimes kind of like when you see evil gets away with something or something mischievous is done? That's a heart problem. And by the way, if Pastor Rich Thompson is right, and I believe he is, it is a heart problem you have with God. If you get satisfaction out of something like that. Number 11, love bears all things. That would be 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Oh my. I hate to tell you, this is number 11. On my list, I have 1 through 11. I couldn't get rid of any of them. And I like to think I'm a pretty good guy. Until I compare it to our Lord Jesus Christ. Number 12, love believes all things. In other words, are you suspicious, distressed, skepticism, cynicism, fault-finding in other people at church here? Are you that way? That's lacking love. Clark's commentary explains that love is ever ready to believe the best of every person and will credit no evil of any but on the most positive evidence. Why do we have a tendency of wanting to judge one another so quickly when we first ought to give each other in this room the benefit of the doubt? Why do we try to understand the intent of others when that's none of our business, by the way? That's God's business. So Philippians 4, 6, and 7 takes a lot of prayer. 13, love hopes all things. That'd be Proverbs 13, 12. I'm sorry, I've run out of time. 14, love endures all things. Please take a look at James 1, 2 through 4, and 1 Timothy 1, 5. So can you commit right now to ask the Holy Spirit to give you the wisdom, the desire, and persistence to carry out three, or even two, or even one of those 14 things? Or you can just leave here. Go, wow, I'm glad Gary isn't there every Sunday. Come back and...
Is it fair to ask for a loving commitment, not for Ranch View Baptist Church, not for me, not even for you, but for our King, the Lord Jesus Christ, our King, our Savior? That's why we ought to be tackling those things in our lives, asking the Holy Spirit to do it, not to impress each other. Woe to us if we are offended and hard-hearted to ignore a call to action for our Lord. I don't care if you like me or not. All I want to do is be truthful. That's what I care. If you say, at least he's truthful, then I praise God for that. We should have calls to actions on a regular basis. So I think if God can provide us wisdom and desire through the power of the Holy Spirit to strive for, remember, the topic of today, a reputation based on love for Christ and others. Lord, help each one of us be concerned about our reputation based on love for Christ and others. Shall we pray? Well, Father God, we are humbled. Quite frankly, some of us may not be feeling too good about ourselves. Frankly, there's probably some of us who feel pretty good about ourselves. But Father God, the truth that Jesus spread when he was here on earth, what was even more amazing than the truth was his love his love for mankind, his love for all kind. We see those that seem to grow up in a temple or in a church or elsewhere. We see their say, but we also see that God reaches his hand down into the depths of the trash and the ugliness of mankind. And he pulls out individuals. And Father God, I would ask that each one of us will learn to love those individuals more as much as the Lord Jesus Christ loves them. We thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen.